Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. seems uh, to be a blessing every time you hear the Word of God read. Amen? And so I thank God for this precious book that is before us tonight. If you're physically able, I'll have you stand as we read the Word of God together. And as you know, we have made our way from uh, verse and not necessarily the uh, the most uh, the, 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 the most, I don't want to say appropriate because I don't believe it's in, inappropriate or inappropriate, uh, but not necessarily the most normal way of tackling a chapter of Scripture together, starting in the middle, working toward the end, and then beginning at the beginning and working toward the middle. But I believe that's the way that the Lord has us for the sake of our emphasis in these days. But we've we've looked at verse 18 through 32, and we have briefly touched each of these verses and tried to give the sense thereof. And then we have begun in Romans chapter number 1, and we will make our way, Lord, willing through verse number 17 uh, this evening if the Lord will help us. The Bible says there in verse number 1 of Romans chapter 1, Paul a servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle separated unto the gospel of God which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So uh, what declared him and his power we talked about his power this morning. What declares the power of God. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that declares to this world, to the church, to the saved world, and to the lost world, the power of the Son of God. Look at verse number 5. By whom? By this Son that is declared, uh, His power is declared by the resurrection. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. Among whom are ye all also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that with a Notice these words now. We'll pick up here this evening. That without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. That is, that I may become 
comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let or hindered hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Thank you, brother. You may have a seat this evening. We'll conclude our reading there. Let's pray together tonight and ask the Lord to bless our time together as only He can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come into Your presence once again as thankfully and humbly, God, as we know how. Thank You, Lord, for the privilege that it is to be here in Your house with Your people. Thank You, God, that there is no greater place to be on this earth this evening than right here in the house of God with Your people. There is no better thing, Lord, that we can be listening to tonight than the preaching of the Word of God. And Lord, I realize that there are many others who could preach the gospel better than I can. But Lord, I realize that there is no one that can preach a better gospel than I can because this is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray tonight as I try to preach that gospel and I try to preach this text and rightly divide the word of truth. I pray that you'd hide me behind the cross of Calvary. I pray, dear God, that you'd fill me with the Holy Ghost. I pray, dear God, that these people would not see me in and of myself. But Lord God, as they hear my voice, they'd be hearing heaven's message for them. God, as they look in the pulpit and see a preacher, I pray, dear God, that they would see someone that is giving them what thus saith the Lord and someone that's being used in your hand to convey the truth that we stand in need of tonight. Lord, I do pray that you would make this message pertinent and powerful and pointed and personal into each and every heart and life that is here this evening. God, I pray if there's one lost, they'd be born again. Lord, if there's one backslid, I pray they'd get right with you as a result of the message tonight. And Heavenly Father, I do pray, God, if there is one, and we know that there are throughout this building those who are saved, Lord God, that have needs and need, uh, Lord, uh, Lord, even if they uh, don't have many other needs, the need that we all have is to hear from heaven tonight and to be fed the Word of God. And I pray, dear God, that you would do that this evening in the hearts and lives of every person. And I pray, dear God, that you'd use me as a submitted servant for that purpose tonight. Please, dear God, touch my mind, touch my voice, touch my body, touch my ability. God, I pray to convey truth and use me, Lord, to do something that is in and above my ability. And God, I just pray that you would be preeminent in this place. God, that you would be extolled and worshiped and lifted up in a way, God, that you deserve to be. And may you receive the preeminence in this place. And God, I pray that you would be worshiped and adored, God, tonight as you so rightfully deserve. May you minister to hearts as you see fit. And may we rightly respond to the truth.
truth of God tonight. In the name that is above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, amen and amen. As we come to this passage this evening, of course, I have already mentioned briefly before we read the text tonight about how we have taken these days to try to approach this chapter in the Word of God. We began in verse number 18, and we walked down through verse number 32, and I say we briefly preached through these verses because there is still uh, so much that could be said in these verses if we were to try to uh, get everything out of them that we truly could uh, get out of them. When we began in verse number 18, we uh, began in this chapter to uh, look at the subject, a snapshot of society, seeing this Roman society and how it mirrors the one in which you and I live as the children of God and have been called to minister in. And so we look here in these verses between uh, verse number 18 and verse number 32, and we see what we've called the sinner's activity, the sins that they are engaged in, uh, the sins of action, the sin of heart and mind, uh, the wickedness that they display, uh, their aversion to truth, how uh, they are described as those that hate the Lord and hate the things of God and will do anything they can uh, to uh, put away any notion of God from their heart and life. Verse 18 describes them as the ungodly and the unrighteous who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That is the sinner's activity. And I don't have time to review those verses. Amen. But here we see not only uh, the sinner's activity, but secondly, and we began this this past Sunday, as we spend the day in these verses, we see the saint's responsibility. Not just the sinner's activity, but we see the saint's responsibility. Here, the city of Rome and the Roman world is described as a society that is filled with sin and wickedness and unrighteousness on every hand, and people trying to push any notion of God as far away from them as they they can. That's the way it was in Rome, and I'll submit this to you tonight. That's exactly the way it is, not just in the United States of America, but I'd submit to you that's the way it is in Lexington County, South Carolina. Amen. You go tell somebody the gospel. You try to go tell someone about the goodness of God, and how many there are out there that will tell you how much they don't need the truth that you're trying to share with them. Amen. This passage reminds us of the sinful world in which we live. And if the world in which we live is so dark, you and I have a great responsibility to share and to shed the light of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the Word of God. So you and I have a great responsibility. And we began to walk through these first few verses as the Apostle Paul, as he begins this letter, uh, 
by as, as was common in this day of writing letters. You and I today, uh, we will write, we will address who we are writing to, and we'll write the content of the letter, and then we'll put the signature at the bottom of the page, and you have to read the entire letter uh, to find out who it's from. Amen. If you don't read the, uh, the envelope first, amen. But the Apostle Paul, he got who it was from out of the way first. That's the way they did it in this day. In verse 1 where Paul says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, he was placing his signature not at the end of the letter or of the discourse, but he put his signature at the beginning of the letter and then began to tell them uh, who he was writing to and then what he was writing to them about. He begins this letter by telling those that are saved, I'm writing to you. He's writing to those, verse number 7 says, that are in Rome, that are beloved of God, called to be saints. Amen. He, he's writing to those that the Bible says they are in uh, verse uh, in uh, verse number uh, 6 that are the called of Jesus Christ. He is writing uh, to those uh, who are saved by the grace of God and have Jesus as their Savior, God as their Father. Amen. He says at the end of verse 7, uh, from God our Father, from those who are just as much in the family of God as Paul is and the ones that have uh, the, uh, Jesus Christ as their Lord. The last few verses of verse 7, that's who he's writing to. And as he writes to these groups, this group of believers in the city of Rome, he begins to tell them their responsibility as a Christian. And then in verse 18 through 32, he tells them why they must do what God would have for them to do and why they must be what God would have for them to be in a lost and dying world and a world filled with sin and darkness. He tells them who they are first who God expects for them to be, how God expects for them to live. And then he tells them why it is so important. That's verse 18 through 32. And he tells them it is because the world that they are in lies in darkness and needs the truth of the gospel message. And so I felt necessary to share the bad news first, to share the, the, share the, 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 the reality of sin before I submit to you our responsibility for the sin. And so we look here at the saints' responsibility tonight, last Sunday evening. We began to talk about how the saints' responsibility is that we must remember our calling. We must remember who it is that God has called for us to be. He tells us that we are, uh, to, we are called to salvation, that we are called to service, that we are called to separation. And those things should let us know that that is who God wants us to be and it is who we ought to be if we're going to make a difference. 
If you're not saved, you cannot hope to make a difference in a lost soul if you remain lost this evening. If you are not serving God, you cannot help to make much of a difference in the life of a lost person. If you're not willing to serve your God, you'll never make an approach to try to win a sinner to Christ. And if you are not separated in how you live and you, you, you are different, he talks about in verse 7, called to be saints. That word saints indicates a difference from sinners, that there is a kind of life that we ought to measure up to, if you will. Amen. There is to be a difference. We are supposed to be separated by our difference. We are supposed to be separated by our faith, that we have faith in God, and we're supposed to be separated by our growth. Amen. He talks about us growing in verse number 10 through 13, when he talks about mutual faith, the faith of Paul that was a blessing to them, and the faith that they have that be a blessing to Paul. That's indicative of growth. Amen. And if we are not separated by being different from the world, by having faith in God that separates us from the world, and that we are not growing in the faith that we have, the lost world will not see anything about us that's worth trusting when we tell them about the marvelous grace of God and how God can save a soul from hell. So if we're going to reach them, if we are going to take full well on our responsibility as the children of God, as the saints of God in a wicked world, we've got to remember who God has called us to be. We must remember our calling. Number two, I submit this to you tonight, beginning in verse number nine. If we are to accept our responsibility in the lost and dying world, not only should we remember uh, who we've been called to be, but we must remember to ceaselessly, excuse me, we must not only be remembering our calling, but we must be resolving to ceaselessly pray. We must resolve to ceaselessly pray. Look at verse number 9. The Bible says, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit. Notice that. That is a little s spirit. The Apostle Paul here is speaking of his human spirit, that this is something that was in his heart to do. This was something that was in his desire to do, <coughs> that he is serving God with his human spirit. It is a choice that he has made. He's serving in the gospel of his son. Now notice this. What is God witnessing to about his service in the gospel? He said, God is my witness. He says that without ceasing. I make mention of you always in my prayers. Paul here is declaring to be a man who has resolved to ceaselessly pray for those believers in Rome. He says in verse number 10, making request, that is speaking of request to God. He is praying to God. He's making request to God. And can I say this tonight? I know I've said it here uh, before in preaching on prayer, but we have no right in prayer to do anything but request from the Lord. 
I realize that there's a charismatic world out there that would like to tell you that you can name some things and claim some things, that you can go before God and demand Him to do something for you because of who you are supposed to be in the kingdom. But that's not, that's not, uh, that's not comparable with what the Scripture says. Paul said that he was making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey notice this by the will of God to come unto you for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established that is that I might be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Paul in these verses begins to discuss his prayers for them. He is here mentioning of his prayers uh, and in his mentioning of his prayers we understand how important it is to be a praying Christian in the days of such wickedness that we find in the society around us. Notice that in this wicked city, in this wicked society, Paul is saying that he has resolved that he is not going to stop praying. And yes, I believe that we are to pray for the lost world. We are to pray for the apostates in our day. I believe that we are to pray for those that are lost and undone without God. But do you notice here in the text who Paul says that he's not going to quit and he's not going to give up praying for? He never mentions about praying for the lost, although we understand through other portions of Scripture that is the will of God. But but here I submit to you this evening that Paul says that he is resolved to not stop praying for the church. Amen. To not stop praying for fellow believers. Do you know what would make the difference in Rome? It was if the church in Rome began to be what God would have for them to be and do what God would have for them to do. I submit to you this evening that when we look here at this passage of Scripture, we understand. Notice, notice here what Paul is saying. We see that he mentions his prayer. We understand that. And I believe we see a lesson for us in praying in the dark world in which we live. Amen. Notice what Paul prays for in this text. Notice, first of all, he prays for others. I, I realize... Most of our Baptist churches, and maybe not, we just might not say it out loud, but by the practice of our life, that's almost taboo. Does God expect me to pray for others? You know why, you know why I say that tonight? I see some funny looks. Because spiritually speaking, we say, preacher, I know that. But practically speaking, do you know who we pray for more than anybody? Ourselves, our four, and sometimes very few more than no more. We're so self-centered as, 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 as human beings. Sadly to say, even as people of faith, those that genuinely know the Lord as our Savior, if we're not careful, we can become very self-centered even in our own prayer lives to where we will pray for our burdens and our cares and our issues 
And then when it comes time to pray for others, we'll say, oh, I'm too busy. I'm going to pray for these things that, that I need because I only have a short window of time because I, I've got to do this and I've got to do this and I've got to go here and I've got to go here. When reality is there's a whole lot of things in life that we can begin to cut out of our lives to give us more time to pray. Paul said, in a world that's filled with darkness, in a world, in a society that's dying and going to hell without God and with no love for God and no desire for God, and the enemies brought that upon them, and the rest of society is encouraging that, Paul said, more than ever, oh, yes, I'll pray for them, but I need to pray for the church of the living God who has been called uh, to be the one that'll stand in the gap for the land of in that book of Ezekiel, amen, to stand in the gap for the land that's going to hell. Can I say this tonight? If we will not pray for each other, who will? Paul said, I resolve that I have not and will not stop praying for you, church in Rome. This, think about this. This was not the church of the Apostle Paul. This was not his home church. We understand that we understand that Peter, his home church, where he started from was the church in Jerusalem. Those early disciples was the church in Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas sit out of the church in Antioch, Jerusalem, in Antioch. Guess what it ain't? It ain't Rome. Paul here is praying for a church that's not his church. He said, I'm doing more than just praying for myself. He said, I'm doing more than just praying for my home church and the preachers out of my home church and those members in my home church and their needs. I'm praying for someone outside of my normal sphere of love and adoration, and I am praying for you to the church in Rome. Notice what he says here. Notice there, there's many things that we mention here and can mention in these verses that would look like Paul's praying for for himself. But if you look at what he's saying as he mentions uh, the, the personal pronouns between verse number 9 and verse number 12, yes, it seems like there are things that he's praying for himself, but even while he prays for things himself, the only reason he's praying for them toward himself, for God to bless him, is so that he can bless them. The, the, the subject and the desire is not that Paul may be benefited, but that others may be benefited through him. Verse 9 he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I, that's a personal pronoun, make mention of you always in my prayers. Paul says they're my prayers, but I am not the subject of my prayers. They're my prayers, but the subject of my prayers is you. Do you see that in your Bible? Look at verse 10. Making request, if by any means now at length I, see he's speaking about himself here, might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. Why is he praying for himself? So he can come to them. Why is he praying that he may come to them? For I long to see you. Amen. But it's not that he longs to see them just because he wants to enjoy a reunion with fellow believers. Not just so he can enjoy that. He says, I want God to get me to you. Why? Because I want to impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end ye may be established. 
Paul's saying, I'm not praying for me for me. I'm praying that God would bless me so that I can be a blessing to you. Verse 12, that is that I might be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Paul said, it's not about me. My prayers are not about me. My prayers are about others. To the church in Rome, specifically, they are about them. Church, can I say this? That the proper use of personal pronouns in our lives of words like I and me and my, the proper use of those things in our life ought to be, God, you help me that I can be a conduit of your blessings to others. Amen. We ought not to be self-absorbed and self-obsessed. We ought not to worry and have our hands out and just say simply, God, you pour your blessings upon me. But the heart of a Christian in a lost and dying world is that we may be used of God to bless the people of God. I'll tell you this. It's getting a little bit ahead of my, my notes tonight, but I'll say this. I believe personally, and I believe this is biblically, I believe we see this in this text. Why would God, or excuse me, why would Paul want God to pour out blessings on him that he may be used to bless them as a church that is in the midst of a society that's filled with sin? Because as goes the church, so goes the community. As goes the Christian, goes the church. As goes the church, goes the community. As goes the community, goes the rest of the country. Paul said, if we are going to make a difference in Rome, it is going to begin when I am resolving to ceaselessly pray for you and to not be self-absorbed in my prayers, but to be concerned about you. When was the last time that we spent great quantity and quality of time praying for others? If we're going to change our society, it's going to be when we decide to pray on behalf of others. And I see here Paul, Paul prayed for others, and we should too. But I believe also that we should, that Paul prayed for himself, and we should too. Remember I said when Paul prayed for himself, he was not simply praying that he, has, that he would have blessings bestowed upon himself for the, for the sake of just being blessed. But Paul begged God to pour out his blessings upon him that he might in turn bless someone else. Notice Paul here is praying for his journey. He prays for his journey to be a journey that is protected in verse number 10. He says, making request, if by any means now at length. I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come to you. He wants his journey to be protected. He said, God, I want you to get me there. If he's not there, outside of just praying for them, if he's not there, he cannot physically be a blessing to them in the way that he wants God to use him to be a blessing, to bestow upon them a spiritual gift that they may be established. We see here he prays for his journey to be protected. He wanted God to protect him along the journey so that he could get there to them, so he could be a blessing to them. When was the last time that we prayed that God would help us to get to church so that we could be a blessing to somebody else? 
I've told you before, the Bible is clear in Hebrews 10, 25. One of the main reasons why we are to be faithful to church and to be here every time that we physically can be is so that we can exhort one another so much the more as we see the day approaching. The sin and the wickedness of our society is proof positive that the day is approaching. And if you go out in this world, there are plenty of things that will cause discouragement and heartbreak and depression. But thank God when we come into God's house around God's people and we begin to sing the songs of Zion and open a King James Bible and hear Bible preaching and worship together and fellowship together, it seems like you and I can go out into the world and be the witnesses that we ought to be and serve God the way that he would have for us to serve him. It charges us up. It gives us encouragement and help for the journey. How in the world can we face a sin-filled society without the church? How can we face a sin-filled society without one another? We need each other more today, child of God, than we've ever needed each other. And there will be times where along life's journey, some will depart and will jump ship. But you remember, we need each other. Wherever two or three are gathered, God is in the midst. And Beacon Baptist Church, we desperately need each other to face what this world has for us. Paul is not speaking generally to every church that there is in the world. He said that God, he was writing to one specific local church. I cannot undermine the desperate need of every Christian individual having a local assembly of believers that they can call their own and love with all of their heart and give everything that they have to in the service of God in and through that local church. And I'm telling you, Beacon Baptist Church, that's what God would have for us to love our church, to love each other, and to love our Savior, and to do everything we can to encourage each other and to go out in this world together as a united fighting force for the cause of Christ and take it to the devil. He's talking to a local church, an individual church. He prays for himself that his journey might be protected. He prays for himself that his journey might be prosperous. He says in verse number 10 that he wanted to have a prosperous journey to them. He wanted God to bless him and to use him to see them made ready through his efforts and for himself to stay ready to minister to them as he makes his journey with them. Notice verse number. I use that word ready on purpose. Look at verse number 15. After Paul is encouraging this church and telling them why he wants to come to them, he says, so as much as in me is, I am ready. Paul was a ready man. Dr. Ed Maccabee taught us in Bible college about the Apostle Paul. And one of the things that he mentioned was that Paul was a ready man. He mentioned that Paul here in this passage was ready to preach. 
He took us to 2 Timothy chapter number 4 and said that Paul was ready to part when he said, I fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Now there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but also unto all them that love his appearing. Every moment of Paul's life, he lived a ready man. I'm telling you this evening that Paul said he was ready to preach the gospel. He was a ready man. And he is encouraging this church that they too ought to be people that are ready to serve God and to preach, to declare, to share the gospel. They are to live for Christ and share his message or die at any moment. It's the way Paul lived his life. That's the way we ought to live our lives. Paul here says he prayed for others. He prayed for himself. He wanted to see his journey be protected. He wanted to see his journey be prosperous. He wanted to speak to them. He wanted to stabilize them. He wanted to stir them up. Amen. This church in this wicked city so that they can make a difference for God in their city. He wanted, he wanted uh, his journey, amen, to be protected. He wanted it to be prosperous. He wanted, now look at this, verse 10. He wanted it to be proper. He didn't want to go out of step in his journey. He didn't want to make any mistakes. He says in verse 10 that I might have a prosperous journey. Notice this, by the will of God to come unto you. He never wanted to be out of the will of God. There are too many Christians in our day they're all too comfortable with being out of the will of God. They're all too willing to be, to be living in a position in their life, in a, to be in a place spiritually where they know they're not in the will of God and it does not bother them. Paul said that his chief desire in praying is that God would get, the, get him to them because he longed to see them. But he wanted to make sure that God got them, or got him to them in the will of God. Child of God, can I tell you this this evening? It doesn't matter what you do for God. It doesn't matter how many times you spin your wheels. It doesn't matter how many sermons you preach. It doesn't matter how many songs you sing. It doesn't matter how many times you pass out a track. If, you're, if your life is not in, in, in the will of God, you can do all kinds of religious service. You can, you can do anything you can imagine. But if you are not in God's will for your life, there will, God may still bless a track in spite of of you, but I'm telling you, God will never get out of your life what He wants to get out of your life if you're not in the will of God. You can exhaust yourself with service and, and religious activity, but if you're not in the will of God, it will fall flat, spiritually speaking. Paul said, I want to be in the will of God. He wanted his journey to be protected. He wanted his journey to be prosperous. He wanted his journey to be proper. Number four, I'll say this, he wanted his journey to be personal. Notice what he says here. He wanted his journey to be personal. He says in verse number 11, he said, for I long to see you. That sounds personal, doesn't it? He says that I may impart unto you 
some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. Paul said that I want to do this for you. I want God to use me to impart a spiritual gift, a spiritual blessing to you. I want God to use me to help you in a spiritual way. That's what he's talking about. He wanted to come personally. He wanted to be used personally. He wanted to affect them personally. He says here that he, he lets us know that if we are going to pray, if we're going to pray for ourselves, then this is the kind of way that we ought to pray is that God would help us to be a blessing to others and to affect others personally. So many times we are not as, we're not as concerned as we should be about the one-on-one -on -one relationships that we get to have in the service of the Lord. When was the last time that you saw God, and I'm, I'm not asking anybody to say anything out loud, but in your mind, when was the last time that you know God used you on an individual basis to bless, encourage, strengthen, stabilize someone in their own faith? in their own walk with God, that if it was not for your investment, that they would not be where they are. That you were the catalyst that God used to help somebody along the way. Paul said, I just, I want to be a blessing to you. I begged God for God to help me to be a blessing to you. Notice he says this. Let's look at, let's look at number three. We see here that Paul, uh, Paul says that if we are going to, uh, that if we are going to, uh, to take up our responsibility, we need to be remembering our calling. We need to be resolving to ceaselessly pray. That's what he deals with here. And then number three, I would say this, that we are to be refusing to cower. Look at verse 14. We'll really back up to verse 13. Paul says, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come to you, but was led or was hindered hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. He's saying, God used me to help others, to help, uh, to, to help other individuals, to, to, to give the gospel and to impart spiritual knowledge and wisdom to others. He's saying, God, I want God to use me to do that with you. You. And here's the reason. Look at verse 14. You'd say, preacher, why? Why is Paul so adamant about God? I'm begging God, God, please use me to help somebody else. God, use me to invest in, in spiritually in the lives of somebody else. Notice what Paul says here as we begin to see uh, some, some grit and some activity here in these verses. He says in verse number 14, he says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. When Paul says, I am debtor, what is he saying? First thing I'd submit to you tonight is this question. What is a debt? A debt is something that you owe to someone. Notice here that Paul is not saying that they owe him because of how wonderful he is as the great apostle Paul. Paul says, I owe something to them. You know, a debt, when you pay off a debt, you shouldn't necessarily be asked to be thanked for paying off your debt. You're doing what you're obligated to do. I've never, I've never paid a bill. 
never paid, Brother Jeremy, I've never paid Dominion and expected a thank you card from them when I sent my bill in. They just expected it or else, or else they're going to pile on more debt, or else they're going to come and we'll be sitting in the dark and in the hot and everything else that's associated with that. A debt is something that you're obligated to. Paul here says, I owe the Greeks something that I have. Paul said, I owe the barbarians something that I have. He said, I owe the wise something. I owe the unwise something that I have. That's the reason I want to come into your wicked city. That's the reason I want to stir up your church to do more and to be more of what God would have for you to be and do. Paul said to the Greeks, you know, here we're not taught, we're not writing to the church. He's not writing to the church in Greece. He's writing to the church in Rome. However, those in the Roman world had adopted the, the lifestyle and the mentality of the Greeks by this time. They very much so considered themselves part of the Greek culture. When Paul uses the word Greeks here, he is speaking about those uh, who, uh, he's speaking about those who are the most polished people of their day. He's talking to those who would view themselves as refined, as wise, as cultivated. He is writing to those who are the learned of their society, to those that are the intelligent people of the society. The great Greeks with Greek literature and Greek language, those that are the greatest of their day. Paul said, I owe a debt to those, those learned people, those wise people, those great in the terms of society people. But he says, I owe a debt to the intelligent. He says, I owe the debt to the refined, but I also owe a debt to the barbarian. Paul said, there is no one Greek or barbarian, wise or unwise that I don't owe a debt to. He says, I owe a debt to the barbarians. Those are those who do not have the characteristics of the Greeks. They are those who are rude of speech, who are rough and harsh of speech. Those who are foreigners. Those who uh, do, you cannot easily understand. Those who are the uncultivated. Paul said, I owe a debt to the cultivated and the uncultivated. He says, I owe a debt to the wise and to the unwise. Here he says that I owe everyone a debt. Notice what he says. So, verse 15, because I owe this debt, he said, so much as in me is, with everything that I have, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. When he says to you that are at Rome also, Paul lets us know what his debt is. He said also to you. That means everywhere that Paul is gone, he has given everyone that he can the gospel 
because that gospel that God gave him, that God saved him uh, on, the, on the road to Damascus and entrusted him with that message of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Paul said, God gave it to me. And as the apostle to the Gentiles, I have a debt to the world. God's put something in my hand that I owe them. Whether they're cultivated or not, whether they're intelligent or not, whether they're refined or not, whether they have great wealth or not, whether they're Greeks or barbarians, I owe them the gospel. Amen. And because I owe them the gospel, Paul said, with everything that I have, I want to preach the gospel in Rome. Because everywhere I've been thus far, I've given it everything that I have to preach the gospel everywhere that God lets the soles of my feet touch. Not necessarily because I want to. Not necessarily because it's comfortable. Not necessarily because it's going to make me a lot of friends. Or because it is comfortable to my flesh. And because it's my personality that is absorbent. exorbitant, And it is, it is, you know, it is an external uh, flourishing personality. He's not saying it has anything to do with that. He said the reason I'm giving everything I've got is because it's my debt to pay. God's given it to me. It's my responsibility. God doesn't owe me any thanks on the judgment seat for giving me the gospel. God doesn't owe me a blessed thing for sharing the gospel. He let me be a beneficiary of the gospel. He put it into my life, and he's given it to me as a task to give to somebody else. It is my duty. It is my debt. I owe it to Greeks and barbarians, to wise and unwise. I owe it to everyone, and I want to come to Rome. Because I hadn't been to Rome yet. I want my go on God to let me get there to where you are so I can personally take up my part in the Great Commission work to you in Rome and to preach to you in Rome. And I want God to let me get in there to your church and to preach to your church and to love on your church members and to part unto you some spiritual gift to, put, to, to let your, my faith encourage you and to let your faith encourage me. And as we go forward for the cause of Christ, that God will let me get in there and stir something up in you to where I can preach the gospel with everything that I can, and I can motivate you to do the same. Paul here, he lets us know that if we're going to affect a lost and dying world for the cause of Christ, we must refuse to cower to anything that would stop us from paying the debt, to engaging in giving the commission, the, the giving rather the gospel with everything that we have. Why? Paul says, here's the cowering I was talking about. Paul said in verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. So many Christians today live as if the thing that brings the greatest shame in their life is the gospel that saved their never dying soul. Church, let me ask you this tonight. We, as Beacon Baptist Church, are we going to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. 
that saved us, bought us in the blood of Christ, that is giving us a home in heaven. Are we going to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Do you know what encourages and strengthens a witness to be, uh, a Christian to be the witness they're supposed to be? You know what produces bold witnesses in a church? Other bold witnesses. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And if he gets in front of them and he can minister some spiritual gift and give them some spiritual help as one that is, 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 is determined to give the gospel with everything that he has, that's not a shame of the gospel of Christ because he knows it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek because he knows that. He said, if I show up in your city, I want to be around you. I want to give you some spiritual help because your city needs the gospel. It needs it through me. It needs it through you. If God can help me to be an encouragement to you so you can go out of your community and change your community for Christ, that'll do more than any kind of legislation would ever do. Can you, 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 you answer me this by Paul writing about Rome and how wicked Rome is. Paul, throughout all 32 verses of this chapter, it does not seem that Paul is looking for legislative reform. It does not seem like Paul is necessarily looking to change Caesar and the way that the Roman Empire works. He's not trying to pass legislation. And by the way, I'm all for good legislatures and all for good legislation. Amen. I have no problem doing those things. But the answer to the United States of America does not fall in the White House. It does not even fall in the State House. But the difference to the, the answer to change in the United States of America falls in two houses. Number one, in God's house. And number two, in our house as believers. If our house will change and have the walk with God that it ought to be and our churches would get on fire for God and determine come, come hell or high water. We're going to serve God in the gospel of His Son. That is what will change our society. Refuse to cower. Refuse to cower because of the gospel. He says, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let me give you this last one and I'll be done. I know I'm going to have to touch this briefly. I know I've been preaching a good while this morning. Apparently I gave you a little bit of a break this morning. I borrowed that time this evening. Number four, if we're going to take up our responsibility in a sin-filled sin society, we must be remembering our calling. We must be, uh, we must be resolving to ceaselessly pray. Number three, we must be refusing to cower. Number four, we must be repenting of corresponding sin. Notice in verse 17, he talks about the just living by faith. Look at how chapter 2 begins. As chapter 1 concludes, notice how chapter 2 begins. Therefore, because of everything he just said in chapter 1, thou, he's speaking to the church in Rome, art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for therein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. 
Paul tells this church at Rome, if you're going to make a difference in your society, you cannot be judging them for the way they're living while you, even though you're saved, are acting the same way. We've got to make sure that if there's any corresponding sin to the sins of this world in our hearts and lives, that we repent of it and we do it right away so that we can be used of God as we see a snapshot of our society for us as we see the sinner's activity that we as the saints of God will take up our responsibility in being what God would have for us to be and shining the light of the gospel into this society in which we live. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm done preaching. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. Jesus, 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 Jesus.